Why so serious? But wait! It happened at sea. Sea for Catwoman! Yeah. I swear to God! I swear to me! Is that over the top? I can never tell. <laughs> can you be cold, Batman? Oh, you think darkness is your ally? You merely adopted the dark. I'm Batman! You sound like Cookie Monster. I'm Batman. That's Batman. Welcome back, everybody, to episode 44 of Know Your Cinema podcast. We are continuing our Batman series. Uh, two are already down. Uh, the 66 Batman and the 89 Batman. So today we will be reviewing the 1992 Tim Burton Batman Returns. But before we do that, let's uh, introduce uh, the panelists, co-hosts, illustrious guests, the uh, members of whatever gang. Uh, we have Jason Quinn. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> Little hello. Uh, very did as i was told yes yes he's 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 a follower not not a trendsetter and uh yeah the the always magnificent devlin clements boom shakalaka whoa there you go now that's an entrance uh i'm i'm just tagging along this is uh vivin matthew uh the uh one of the co-hosts the southern gentleman. The yes, yes, the the one from the south hails from the south. That's why I called you a southern gentleman. That's <laughs> thank you, sir. Thank you, good sir. How are you guys doing? I'm fat and sassy as always. Oh, oh. <laughs> feel it coming through, Jason. I'm are particularly we shirtless today. Ooh, yeah, I'm. <clears throat> I uh, I feel like it's important for everybody to know how I record, you know. So, particularly shirtless is where I'm at today. Yeah, and I think it's particularly good for everybody to know that if you hear the sounds of vomiting, it is me on the other end thinking about Jason with his shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's just say that I don't need luck. I'm good. <clears throat> And that is a little um, Nicky reference, and Vivian or Devlin doesn't even get that shit. Well, uh, as uh, all of our listeners swim in the images of you shirtless, uh, I will also s- serenade them with uh, the possible ways to get in touch with you, Jason, uh, and the rest of the podcast if they choose. I don't think they can get past you shirtless. At this point, so there's a couple of ways right. to get to yeah. Jason. One is at Facebook at KYC Podcast. We are also on Instagram at KYC Podcast, Twitter at KYC Podcast. We are also on TikTok, KYC Podcast. So any of those platforms, link up, say hello, comment on uh, Jason's pod, a whatever whatever floats your boat, right? Um, this uh, platform is also a good way to kind of let us know how the show is going, what your thoughts are. And uh, sometimes we also put polls on there. Well, that is for uh, episodes. Our typical episodes usually have a giant ass wheel that we spin. And 
one of the slots is for the audience pick. So after the Batman series, we will be going back to our regular programming. So uh, knowing or being on one of those podcasts, uh, one of those platforms and following us definitely does help you guys out and helps us out too to know that you guys are out there listening so that we are not just talking on the phone. Are we guys ready to talk about returns? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, Devlin, you spoke uh, first last time. Um, so, Jason, why don't you start us off with uh, Batman Returns? Uh, I'm actually, I was actually really, really pleasantly surprised with this one. I remember liking it as a kid, but I honestly, if they would have kept this same type of dark tone and maybe not made as many mistakes with some of the backstory stuff, with Batman, I think I would have been okay with them just continuing making these forever in this kind of a, like, it's dark, but it's still comic booky, so it's still kind of silly and slapstick in some ways, but it's still, like, I don't know, man. It, it just felt really perfect for me. Like, it really felt like an authentic, you know, 90s-style Batman. Like, I mean, obviously, we, we get a lot more dark versions of Batman and, and not just, you know, comics, but in, you know, TV shows and everything else nowadays. But like, um, I don't know. I felt like it was, it was quite, it was like a, it was like a refreshing uh, mirror to the times of when this was made. So it was like, there were some shitty things that were happening, but it was still like just kind of perfectly nostalgic for me. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, this time around um, as opposed to the last time I felt like it was pretty good last time, but the, the, I don't think they make as, they don't make as big a mistakes in this version with the character backstories as they do in with, when it comes to Joker, I feel like giving Joker a name is nothing compared to like Selena Kyle gets a mom in this one, which is wrong. And, uh, I honestly don't know that much about Penguin's backstory to comment on it. So, but uh, overall, I was pretty pretty pleased with it. Who wants to go next? Uh, I will. Uh, I, I will uh, definitely uh, get on board with your sentiment. Uh, this movie was a. I don't want to say a much needed improvement, but it was definitely an improvement over the. Uh, uh, over the 89 Batman. Uh, again, not to take anything away from the original and uh, its status in the cultural pantheon. Um, but the way I was trying to kind of formulate it was if the original Batman or the 89 Batman was Tim Burton trying to figure out how to make uh, a Batman movie or a Batman universe, I feel like by the time he gets to Batman Returns, it's just Batman is now in a Tim Burton world. It, it this, mm. it, I, I mean, I hope that makes sense. But it, in this, he's completely he's he's completely embraced his unique quirkness, and I'm talking about Tim Burton, and he's not afraid to like paint every corner with his imagination, and at the same time, like you said while not going too crazy of completely negating any of the 
uh, established history uh, of the Batman lore. He plays with it as all of the creators should. So I, I don't ever, um, I don't ever chastise comic book writers or any type of creator when they come and put their own spin on it. That's the point of these characters. You want to take them and you make them your own. So, and that's what Tim Burton does here. I, I really felt like this was a movie that I just enjoyed every frame of it. He, he really, it's a big budget 90s summer blockbuster movie, but it is a completely a Tim Burton-esque film. You, uh, even the themes, the story, the music, oh, the music is so lush. It was also in, uh, in the 89 Batman, but it's, it's uh, just as good here. And it, it, I still keep thinking about the ending. It was so good. Uh, the way everything wraps up, it was not a, I can see why the studios and uh, McDonald's and all the other people who make toys and uh, Happy Meals were very unhappy with this movie because clearly this is not a easy movie to sell to kids. And, uh, but as a, if you want to put it at the high status or as a work of art, it, it, it really, I think, holds up for me. So that's why I wanted to echo the sentiments of uh, Jason. It, it, it works as a, as a, as a blockbuster. It also works as a movie. It also works as a comic book movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, I, I guess at this point we should, uh, before we kind of decide with path to take down Devlin who we know that you're a huge fan of the 89 Batman and you had if I'm correct you had some trepidations on going uh, watching the 92 Batman is that correct yeah I mean uh, I enjoy the story of this Batman I I do I really do my I have some issues with this film um, not necessarily anything to do with characters or stories you had mentioned, Bivin, in the past episode that the, the, the scenes in, in the original Batman felt kind of on the Gotham City felt like it was kind of on top of you. And I actually felt like that was this way in this movie where it was really kind of boxed in and a lot of set pieces and a lot of, you know, filmed inside of a warehouse. It didn't feel open as the other one because I felt the other one felt a little bit more open. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I, I did. Um I just felt like a lot of things were kind of compartmentalized in the scenes and we had a lot of uh, shots that we, you just felt like it was just in a room. So um, that that's one of the problems I have with uh, this particular movie. I felt like um, the some of the lighting in this movie and just how things in certain, <clears throat> certain scenes felt like they were kind of sped up. A little bit like it was just like boom 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 not action but just like dialogue and 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 cut scenes and going back and forth and this is just from the you know the eye test of of watching a movie again like i said the story is there the stories are good i appreciate the how they they did a little homage to the the penguin comic book by putting the the penguin drawing or on the like the the uh mayor buttons and like yeah i noticed that too that is cool i appreciate that i, I appreciated danny dito danny devito's performance of the penguin um it's a he was spot on it yeah it's a it's a total reimagining of the character 
as far as like the look they kept the 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 the, the aesthetics of the character but it's a very darker version of it i really love uh michelle Pfeiffer's portrayal of catwoman i think that she because because catwoman's a lot like bruce wayne where she's having to portray two different people you know she's selena kyle in one sense and then she's the catwoman in another so i really appreciated that aspect of how she she brought what she brought to the table and I think I think at times she really outshined DeVito in, in that role. I'm not saying that it's the best, but I'm saying like I think that she's kind of overlooked maybe as a player in this movie. Um, of course, uh, you know, we we love the character of Max Shrek, uh, or at least I do, Christopher Walken's portrayal and, and damn near everything is always top notch. <laughs> so um, has Christopher Walken ever been in anything except for that one weird alien movie he's in that wasn't absolutely amazing? I mean, I haven't seen, I haven't seen a lot of things. He was even even in a in a in a horror movie called The Prophecy, and I thought he was really good in that. And that's the first time I was ever introduced to Christopher Walken, and that's super 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 dark, Christopher Walken. But I mean, I love almost everything he's ever touched, even movies like Seven Psychopaths. I think he's he's just a phenomenal actor. He this really illustrates some of his acting chops too, because he's not being that over the top Christopher Walken. He's really portraying a character here. So this is one of his finer performances because he's playing, yes, he's playing a character, but he's not trying to play Christopher Walken as that character. You know what I mean? Cause, cause... So surprising. So surprising in a movie full of people who are, well, asked to kind of be in some sense over the top. Christopher Walken is the subdued performance. Yeah, I think the only only person I think that really was a very bad actor in this, and I think it's because he was young, was Andrew Berninsky. And he played Chip. And he was a very young actor in this. But he played. He ended up going on to play in movies like The Program, which is a football movie. Um, and he had a, a really big role in that one. And then he went on to play Leatherface in the uh, the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But he didn't, you know, he didn't have any speaking parts. He's just a big dude. So, I mean, he kind of gets cast in th- those types of roles. Oh, um, okay. I know who you're talking about now. Yeah. And then, you know, we had little cameos in here. We had, like, Jan Hooks. She was from Saturday Night Live fame. Um, we also had the talented Doug Jones, who was one of the um, the clowns. And, you know, Doug Jones has played in, like, he's played those, you know, those character roles where, you know, there's not really any speaking parts. So he played in, like, Hocus Pocus and and Pan's Labyrinth. Um, we had Paul Rubens. We had Pee Wee Herman himself as the Penguin's father. No speaking parts, but you know it's still little cameos and stuff. They're Burton, you know Burton doing what Burton does is put people in there that he works with a lot, and he had had that relationship with Paul Rubens at the time, and this is before Rubens's fallout back in the early nineties. So again, I, I think that this movie just for me is it, it, it continuation. It's a continuation of the Batman story. And as you know, it goes downhill from here, of course, as we, you know, we're probably going to review and probably say, um, and that's why the franchise, you know, ended because I think adults didn't want to bring their kids, but they enjoyed the movies as well. And it, it just, it went off, off the rails after this. And I think this was a really good way of, I guess I want to say Burton kind of maybe 
ending his his run of the of the frame, even though he wasn't supposed to. But I mean, I don't think if he'd have done another one, it might not have been as good. Um, so I, I think that this movie ha- has a lot of weight to it. But again, like for me, it just a lot of it felt on top of each other in the c- certain scenes, and just how it was filmed at times looked just kind of weird. It was kind of off. And plus, Batman kills two people in this movie, so I just want to point that out. Yeah, <laughs> Batman killed people in the last movie too. Yeah. Oh no, I know. I'm just saying he kills two people. It's yeah. It's a strange kind of. It's just regular henchmen that he's like totally straight up just murdering. I'm like, what? And then he smiles before he does it. I was like, oh, it's so weird. It's almost uh, like the darkest version of Batman I've seen. Yeah, it, it wasn't in the last movie. He was just he was kind of defending himself and fighting, and the guy happened to fall down the stairwell, and then Joker happened to just you know get murdered by the. You know the gargoyle holding right. him down. Right. In, in this one, he intentionally turned around the Batmobile and set a guy on fire, and then intentionally stuck a bl- explosive down a dude's pants and pushed him down a hole. <laughs> I, I, to I, be I, fair, the guy that got caught on fire might not have died, but that moment was hilarious. Of course. And they said Batman doesn't have a sense of humor. That was the funniest part in this movie as far as like any kind of fighting se- sequences. The two times where he kills people are the funniest parts of this movie and, and as far as like action sequences. Because you, ca- you don't expect them because, you know, it's Batman, obviously. And then like the comical like dynamite in his pants, that's funny. Like that's some classic Looney Tunes comedy shit. Yeah, but it, it it keeps to the the comic book theme of Batman, which a lot of this movie is. A lot of it is super over the top and hokey. Like when Penguin takes control of the Batmobile, that's such a hokey oh. thing that the Penguin would do. That it's like it, that you can see that in like a comic book cell. You can actually like th- picture that in your mind. Like you know, Penguin you know over the Batmobile and hops in this this fake Batmobile is, is, is commandeering it. So there is a lot of comic book element and Burton tried to keep to that, but he also tried to keep through the dark side of things that he had in his mind and, and in his envision of Gotham city and Batman and these characters. Yeah. Well, I mean, for my money, yeah, between the two Burton Batmans, I would go with returns while still agreeing with all of the, the problems that it has as far as, me personally, just those elements of the comic book, the too much comic book element, it, it in a film level, it doesn't quite work because for me, it just keeps pulling me out of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can still appreciate it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right about the sets. I just, I think I kind of put that to the, to the, uh, uh, to the backside because I already pinpointed that in the original Batman, so I almost went with the expectations that is Burton's aesthetic. But you can tell, like when there's a crowded scene, it really feels like it's pigeonholed into this small corner of Gotham. Like Go- Gotham is just a bunch of small alleys and little openings, and it's there's not much breathing room, and you don't really feel a scope, even though. It's well, I think it's supposed to feel crowded. I think it's supposed to feel crowded and no, bogged no. down because I think that that's, that's kind of what creates the problems that you have in Gotham. 
Yes, no, 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 no. Um, I, you misunderstood me there. Uh, I wanted to feel like so. If you see any of the shots in the film where it is like an extreme wide shot, where it's like sometimes Batman looking over from the top of a building, and you see uh, the downtown where the tree ceremony is happening, it's trying to give you a scope of how big the place is. That I like, but when they actually get in close and suddenly you know that you're in a set, then it feels enclosed in a way that is not, it doesn't feel right because you can suddenly know that they're on a stage and it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel as expansive as it should be. Like Gotham suddenly feels a little small. So I wanted to feel bigger. I wanted to be bigger. I wanted to be, have more, uh, more of a sense of a crowd and, uh, I the aesthetic. So you don't feel like, like the set did a good job of giving you the scale of of the the overall city. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. And then when you're in it, you feel kind of enclosed in it, and that's just the fact of doing everything in a set and not um, either doing it. You know, either creating. Sometimes you can like create like entire towns and cities, like old westerns. You can create that in the back lots uh, or so that or you can do extensions. These days you'd basically do you'd create part of the set inside and then you would do a digital extension. So it still feels that scale or scope. But here, once they go, because about I think about 100 percent of the movie is just in sets, you really feel enclosed. You don't feel you only get the wide shots and those are all just matte paintings. So besides that, you just feel huddled into this little places here and there which is fine in this movie i'm just saying that's the overall burden aesthetic and i i was okay with it in this movie as compared to the first one yeah i mean i honestly i I didn't mind it (laughs) yeah but at the same time if you gotta understand that the way gotham city is portrayed in the comics as well Mm -hmm. not in the early stuff in the latter stuff Uh it's portrayed as being very like tall buildings very it's like all packed together yeah so i think i think burton was going for that feel yeah of being something being on top of you but at the same time it was unnecessary because if you gave the wide shot you could see that right you could see that the buildings are all kind of huddled together and it's it's in that sort of lot set but it's it it's not when we have everything's just when it's close-ups and burton's very keen on close-ups so we had you know we had most of everything took place in that plaza, and then yeah, yeah, and then we had we had outer shots of like Selena. We had the rooftop. We had Selena Kyle's apartment. Bruce, the, you know Wayne Manor, the Penguins' uh, lair, which had the most wide shots because you could see everything. And I think that's what Burton was going for there, so you could see like the the stage area that the Penguin was on. But it, at the same, like I said, at the same time, like that's how. Gotham, like the hideouts are always big, but the 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 actual city is really small. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's that's exactly. Yeah, you said it much better than I have. What well, my five minutes of rambling kind of got to. Uh, I, I think I think I don't know. For me, for me, I think that it worked. Like I actually enjoyed the way they framed a lot of the stuff. I know that it obviously. I know that it was sets. I know that you know, some of the reason why most of the movie took place in one fucking area is like budgetary constraints and shit like that. Like I get that, but at the same time, like uh it really worked for me to show, I don't know why, but for some reason I felt like this really did such a good job of showing like the, 
structural issues of Gotham as like an economy and as a a a city from like a planet planning area like kind of situation. Uh, I don't know. Like I I really felt like it showed how Gotham's like upper you know elite were profiting off of this you know the basically everybody below them and taking advantage of everybody below them which is you know not unlike other stories or real life situations that we have going on but it's just <clears throat> i felt like it did a really good job of showcasing that yeah i I'm, i i wanted to make it clear i don't think either devlin or i are making up a complete pointed criticism of it it is something that we've noticed and I, um, especially in returns, I I I think Devlin had the opposite reaction where it was okay in the first movie, but here he it was more pronounced for me. I just that became part of the feel of Gotham. So even though I noticed it, I was like, okay, this is how Gotham is. And I think Burton's also trying to communicate something like um, like you said, Jason. You know that is maybe a um, uh, a uh, description of the societal kind of discrepancy between the rich and the poor. It can also be just a outlook of how Gotham, like say, if you contrast that with Metropolis, which is the shining city, this is the dark and dingy and just the kind of the city that is always, it's a leftover city, right? It's its always in the, uh, it, it's, it's like a one extended alleyway. Uh, I, I And it's perfect for Burton because his, Aesthetics come from both he's from an animation background and he's also a huge fan of the early the early twenties like German uh, there was these German uh, films called the uh, they're called the German Expressionism which had like Dr Caligari Metropolis all of these movies where it it has if you watch Batman and Batman Returns and watch those movies, he's pulling a lot of the aesthetics, the dark aesthetics, the the buildings that are all jagged, uh, the 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 super like crisp and long shadows. Uh, everything's very kind of the lighting uh, is super exaggerated, moody. He's he's he he's playing with a palette that that he clearly loves, and Batman is kind of giving that avenue for him. So I've I do agree. It it works for what Burton's intentions are. So uh, it's the question that we always go back to, right? Is the director achieving what he set out for, and that's where and that's how we should judge the movie based on what he set out to do. He really wanted it to be like this. Uh, obviously, I have a couple of other preferences, and uh, thankfully, with Batman, uh, it probably will be the only superhero that you get so many variety of takes through uh, through the history because there's been already so many interpretations. I don't think any other characters enjoyed so many drastic interpretations uh, of the same character and the city. So, you know, we, we will get to see the other side of it pretty soon. Isn't that the truth? That <clears throat> is the truth. That, you know what? That should be something we should embrace. I... I, I don't think any of the other characters, not Superman. I think the only character that comes closest to having a couple of varied uh, interpretations is probably Spider-Man. 
But even his, besides the Sam Raimi ones, the other ones are pretty much, I don't think they are that drastic from one another. If you're talking just strictly comic book character, then it's probably it's probably Batman. But the Doctor from Doctor Who has 13 different iterations. Yeah, yeah. I I mean it's different very, different, very distinctly different. Yeah, very distinctly different mediums. But yeah, if if you go by pure just film history, it's uh, I surprising. I can't think maybe the Bond franchise, but even that hasn't had this much variations. Yeah, because I don't I don't I mean obviously I don't know enough about Bond to say that there's you know not big differences, but I think you kind of when it comes to James Bond you kind of get roughly the same type of shit in they, every movie. You know what, Dellen might be able But you to get do. different actors. Yes, uh, but I think also... So it, doesn't, it feels different, but it still feels the same. Like, like I've seen, like, like I watched Pierce Brosnan's Bond, and then I've watched What's-His-Face's Bond, Daniel the newer Craig. guy. Daniel yeah, Craig. and like, they feel still pretty close to the same. Okay. Like, they're, they're different, each, but they're James still Bond, close. I think each James Bond brings their own style to the to the character. I don't think that the character necessarily itself changes in any way. He's still a secret agent. He's still got gadgets. He's still shooting dudes. He's still beating dudes up. I just think it's right. the way that particular person, like Connery's is different than Moore's, and... Uh, Moore's is different than than Daltrey, and then uh, Brosnan, and then Daniel Craig. Everybody's is different, so it's all about which Bond that you like and how they portray that particular Bond. Okay, but uh, maybe we can make a comparison here. So Connery is the most suave of the Bonds, I would say. He's, but by the time you get to Roger Moore, he is the it's the most playful bond that you have. It's it's right. just all about the gadgets. It's about the fun. It's about it's it's the most cartoonish the bonds get. And right. then you get to Dalton, who's like super serious and dark. But then they're like, no, that didn't quite work. So they go for Prius Brosman, who's like the in between. He is the Sean Connery, but you still have the '90s fun of the big action movies. And then you get to the basically the the big brute, which is Daniel Craig. He's all about just like. I mean, even just the opening scene of Casino Royale kind of establishes that this Bond is all about just kind of being, just bulldozing his way to to a solution, then thinking his way to a solution. Yeah, but is it not okay to compare? I mean, I feel like it's okay to compare what happens in like like what happened in Batman mm-hmm. is kind of changes the scenery for the type of darker Bond. Oh, it absolutely does. Like in Daniel Craig. I don't, I feel like those, I feel like there's a very distinct, like, like they kind of almost go hand in hand in a way. Like, I feel like that's the reason why we get, like, I wouldn't be shocked if, like, honestly, I've heard, like, uh, I've heard Idris Elba might, is in talks for being the next Bond, which I hope that he is. I think that dude's a super talented actor. Um, but I would love to see what like a crazy difference in the bonds if we if he takes over, because like I don't know they don't they're boring as like I honestly I'm there's probably gonna be a ton of people that are gonna fucking hate me for this but I really don't find them that entertaining, like they're 
just not that fucking entertaining to me. Like some of the action sequences are good, but like I've watched all probably almost all of Daniel Craig's bonds. And then I watched a good handful of Brosnan's bonds and I didn't really care for most of that shit. Now I still haven't watched any Connery mostly because like, I don't know that my heart can take it because I fucking, I'm just, there's not a human being on this planet that I have like, more pure weird love for than sean connery really so i don't oh just there's something just so gosh darn there's there's a sex appeal that connery has that it, it spans generations genders uh uh humanity i feel so i just don't know that i can handle a connery bond Wow, that, that, yeah, that might be the end of you. Maybe you need to wait for wait a couple of decades when you when yeah, you retire. Yeah, I just don't know if I can handle it. <laughs> yeah, I just I don't know if I've got it in me. You're you're on your deathbed. You go. You you just turn over to silence. Like I think I think, I think I think honestly, you'll have a you'll have a better love and appreciation for Sean Connery because it's the role that put him on the map. Oh yeah, and see, and I fuck, I God, I love Sean Connery. I like you could. You could fucking tell me that Connery was going to play Batman in the next Batman movie, and I would be like, it wouldn't make any goddamn sense. But I'd be like, fuck yeah, that's exactly what we needed. That I didn't know that's who. The the introduction of uh, in Doctor No, the first time you see Bond, that sequence is everything. So when you get to that, Jason, I, I feel like you will be just. Uh, uh, filling our our, uh, our our feed with everything, <laughs> Sean Connery. I, I would even accept Sean Connery as Alfred. Sean Sean Connery for me could play any role. Like if they were, if they were like we're gonna make we're gonna remake the entirety of the Harry Potter franchise, but we're gonna cast Harry Sean Connery as eleven year old Harry Potter. I'd be like, fuck it, let's do it. Like let's let's go for it. Like I'm on board. All right, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could get on on, on that long <laughs> express, but uh... I'm not saying that it wouldn't be weird. But I'm <laughs> well, into it. You know what I mean? You're like I'll, I'll pay. I'm paying for tickets. Is all I'm saying. Oh, you're not saying that, okay? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying that it wouldn't be a little bit weird for everybody else in the theater. But like, I'm very much paying for tickets. You're not the first person to mention this curious attachment to Sean Connery, and it's always perplexed me because I used to be in, I used to do uh, Taekwondo or karate as a kid, and this was like maybe I was like fifth, sixth grade, seventh grade. My, um, the, so when you do your uh, reps or practices, whatever you call them, uh, the girl who, uh, who would do the practices with me uh, in class. She was like such a huge Connery fan. I was like, you're talking about the ball dude? She was in love with him. I was like, wow, something must... And, and she's not the first one. Like, Sean Connery is a thing, apparently. And I just never got it. But apparently, Sean Connery is a thing. That's what I'm talking about. Like, I'm not wrong when I say that he... There is a there is a, a an appeal about that man <laughs> that spans every, every known way that you can divide a people or living organism 
every human being like there's just something about that man that's just like all right i got it like i'm i'm feeling that like i don't know what it is but a lot of it's the voice like if we're being honest uh the voice is just everything like one time devlin like get like a weak sean connery impression and like i was almost like there was like a slight attraction to devlin for like 5 seconds while he was talking <laughs> so i i get it's just <clears throat> There's something about it. That's revealing. That's uh, super revealing. <laughs> this uh, uh, that's revealing. As you as you keep unnecessarily revealing, just I like very... my martini shaking, not stirred. Uh, oh boy, um, there's, no, there's no coming back from this. I keep in the back of my mind trying to figure out how are we going to get back to Batman Returns. What six degrees of Kevin Bacon we need to do to get back there, and I can't think of any path. So, uh, I'm pretty sure Sean Connery was supposed to play Batman. In one okay, you know. So having said that, the Penguin. Devito is fucking awesome in this movie. <laughs> I love one of my favorite things about Devito in this movie is there's a, there's a scene where he where they introduce him as to his staff yeah. for the running for mayor or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> he's like eating a fish and shit, <laughs> like all really weird. Like, did you I love? I love how chill everybody in the room pretends like they are about what's going on. So good. Like, <laughs> that's normal. That, there's no fucking way in hell, I don't give a fuck who is doing that, that I could possibly not almost puke watching that shit. So. The fact that everybody holds their shit together, like, yep, this is the guy who I want to be mayor. That shit was gold to me. W- was it worse that, that Danny DeVito played the penguin very creepy, like in a in a sexual predator kind of way? He had the rapiest vibe of any character I have ever seen. There are some lines in like, the movie. And I'm like, how did this make? How does Lion get approved to be in this movie? And and that's why McDonald's was not happy, <laughs> bro. The amount, um, like Skylin and I are watching this movie, and I'm watching it with Dominic and Mia because the rest of the kids <laughs> didn't get to watch it. And some of this shit popped up, and she kept shooting me glances, like, "What the <laughs> fuck are you letting my kids watch?" Like. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't know he had such a rape vibe. <laughs> I didn't watch that when I was a kid. He didn't have a rape vibe. He was just a creepy dude. No, imagine, you know what I mean? Like, imagine if you're in the other room and you're just hearing the dialogue, and then I, I can only imagine somebody going, "Are you still watching Batman?" Like he goes, "Just the pussy I was looking for," and I was like, "Oh, oh shit!" <laughs> he dropped that out there. He just put that out. I was like, get the fuck out of here. We are going in on this. He it just like, like DeVito, I don't know. I feel like he did such a great job because God damn it. Like if you were like, it, like if you were around Oswald Cosmopot in this movie, you would be super fucking uncomfortable. Like there is no way you couldn't be. So I don't know, like for me, that added to the character so much because of how creepy he was. 
and it had like like I said, such a strong rape vibe. Like, oh god damn, it was creepy. Like when he when he like, pinned the button on the girl. Yeah. Yeah, and he was like talking about like groping her and shit, and I was like, oh yeah, the yeah. They lit- he literally drops that word. He's like, yeah, I just want to grope, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Killing is fine, but you like, can't be using yeah. rope words in Batman. <laughs> Right, like I like you know what I mean. Like I hate to be the guy to side with McDonald's, but god damn, McDonald's was right on this one. <laughs> like you can't put rape toys in your Happy Meals, you know what I mean? Like, like there's no like it's not like Gacy, like they're running a Gacy line of toys or some shit. Like that was what we're getting on screen here. It's just like although, fucking... although Selena. Uh, no, no. Bruce himself kind of compares his uh, his uh, dual role to. He was just trying to reassure Selena that he's not Ted Bundy. I'm like, oh, this is making it into the movie. Yeah, there's a lot of weird shit that happens in this movie. Like, like, and here is it just me? I love my fucking favorite line in this movie. Uh, I think. Uh-huh. Is there's a fucking there's a, a time when Alfred is talking to Batman about something, and then out of nowhere he like randomly brings up the fact that Alfred was a douche and let Vicky Vale into yes. the Batcave, and he yes. was like, yes. "Oh my god, He's like that's awesome!" I'm vindicated on that. I forgot all about that line, but I was super vindicated. I was, I was, I was like, I was like, wait, did, did Bruce Wayne just? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He called her. He called him out so hard to the point where not only did you could see on Alfred's face that he was like, "Damn, I fucked up for real." For real. I, I do want to point out one more little Easter egg that I don't know if anybody caught onto, but at the end scene when they're at that masquerade ball, when Bruce is walking in, yeah, Rick, Rick James's Super Freak is being played by the orchestra. Yes. That's what that is. I was like, that sounds so familiar. What is that? It was Rick James. Like, yeah, I'm singing it in my head. I'm like, she's a very kinky girl. Very freaky girl. This movie. Uh, and I'm like, it's appropriate for the Selena <laughs> Kyle character because that's where he was going to meet because it's, she, when she's Catwoman, she's super weird and freaky. Like, it's like her personality as, as Catwoman is really, really out there. I feel like, on some degrees, she does a decent job, like a pretty decent job of playing Selena Kyle, but Selena Kyle and Catwoman are probably some of my favorite characters in the whole Batman mythos. And I don't feel like I've ever seen somebody just nail that role ever because I feel like the duality between Batman and Bruce Wayne is one thing. And it's, it's a little bit hard to play but the Selena Kyle duality is a way different type of situation. And I don't feel like anybody ever gets that correct completely. Well, yeah, I mean, there's only been there's only been like three people that have played Catwoman in live action films. So it's right. It's it's not like one it's for most people don't even like really enjoy the the Catwoman character. They 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 like the other villains, Joker, Penguin, Two Face. She's kind of a Kind of a, a not a throwaway character, but kind of an, an offset character for some reason in the Batman world. And see, I've always seen her as a perfect counterpart. 
Like I've always looked at her as like a lot of people consider like granted Joker is a, is a perfect counterpart in some aspects, but I think to a, a more of an extent, I think Selena Kyle and Catwoman is because she is like a perfect, like she's like a perfect match for him. She's like the criminal version of Batman. I think she's the the woman Bruce Wayne and Batman both want. Bruce wants her at, at for himself, but Batman wants her to be put away. Like it's like his not his super arch nemesis, but one of those ones that continuously gets away from because of the feelings he has for as Bruce Wayne. Does that make sense? Yeah, well and yeah, and she has she's like she her the 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 appeal that she has to to Bruce Wayne and and other people that that she comes in contact with, like you know you have Poison Ivy and she has like she has like the little tr- tricks up her sleeve to to get men to fall in love with her or whatever, and I feel like for her it's like you know pheromones and different like tricks that plants do to to manipulate people. With Selena Kyle, she's just good. Like there's just something about her that appeals to any any person that she comes in contact with. It's just there's like an instant attraction to her. It's the, and I it's feel the, like it's she the crazy uses attraction. Oh, so well. it's the mystique attraction. Like right, but she nails it so hard. Yeah, you know, I'm just saying, like, because before she became Catwoman and and she she died in the movie, she was just kind of like this bumbling idiot who really wasn't attractive as just plain old selena kyle but then when she she passed away and came back and became catwoman and that persona even when she was selena kyle she she looked different the glasses were gone you know she was mysterious and and i think if you watch the movie bruce is really attracted to that mystique and how she like talked like he was kind of like oh that's that's weird that's different like what is what secretary would talk to their boss that way and it kind of turned him on in a certain way. <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, I think that's part of the reason why. Uh, I think I think he, I think Catwoman and and the character like that type of situation between the two the relationship there made him as Bruce Wayne better in this movie yeah. than he was in the last one. Oh no! Like, I, I, I feel I like, I, well, I think he also got more screen time in this one, whereas in the first one, I don't think that that uh, Michael Keaton got enough screen time. I think a lot of the focus in the first one was on the Joker, and we got a lot more screen time with Bruce Wayne versus Batman in this movie, and we got to see the Bruce Wayne, the businessman. We got to see Bruce Wayne a little bit more personality. It seemed like a lot more was written into the screenplay for him in particular the bruce wayne parts yeah I've, and i feel like it made a big difference at least for me as far as like his performance because if we're you know if we're looking at eventually some of our, uh, part of our goal in doing this is to try to decide you know who is the best at playing batman or any of these different characters that we're gonna see different iterations of so i feel like in the first one, I didn't get a big contender in the Bruce Wayne Batman character that he played. But in this one, it felt super spot on for me. Like, I, there was almost nothing that he did in this movie 
other than obviously, you know, the, the killing people, which is not a Batman trait, but even that I can almost overlook because of like, it was almost, they were deaths for comedic effect. Like I felt like, so it wasn't even necessarily like, and if you think about it in terms of like comic books, nobody really dies in the DC universe at all ever. So it's kind of like, you know, kind of like that. If you, so if you can kind of look at this in, in those types of terms, then even that's not even a big deal. Uh, but I really felt like this movie makes him a real contender for a number one spot at playing Batman and Bruce Wayne. Cause there was almost nothing that he does wrong. in it. Like I never got <laughs> any, any bad vibes out of his performance, right, but uh, we've reviewed the movie. Uh, let's talk about our favorite scene. <sighs> Who wants to take the honors? Uh, I I already named one of my favorite scenes, which is that weird fucking fish eating scene. My other weird favorite scene in this movie is there's it's a small, super small scene, but I don't know why I love it, but I, I thought it was awesome. Um, there's a scene where. <clears throat> Penguin has his his whole plans, his original plan of of being mayor is foiled, and then he like retreats into the sewer, right? And he's doing his little thing there, and he lets everybody know what his plan is to kidnap everybody's firstborn and then drown them. Um, and then the one clown guy just like speaks up, and he's like, um, "Don't you think that's a little fucked up?" And then Penguin just murders him i absolutely love how overly game of thrones that shit was like that whole plot concept of like murdering the firstborn children pretty sure that shit literally happens in an episode of game of thrones so it's also that type of like very biblical yeah that that's that's how a herod tries to get to jesus by killing all the firstborn uh Wicked smart. Um, <laughs> Wicked smart. But I, I don't know, man. I felt like that, like that little turn of like he had, li- like somebody was like, "Oh, that's a fucked up plan," and then he was just like instantly murdered. I don't know why I loved that, like push. It was just like a quick push further into darkness, and I loved that shit. Like it had that like little bit, like it almost felt like if you were, if you were watching this as a McDonald's executive <laughs> that felt like the moment in the movie where they just stuck up their full on middle fingers and were like, fuck you. We're doing this. I feel, I, I don't know. I loved that. <clears throat> Icing on the cake of darkness. I see. <laughs> uh, I'll give a runner up mention to the, to the uh, ending scene where Bruce is appealing to, well, Selena Kyle to basically not kill Max, and he rips off his mask. I thought that was a poignant scene, and it again showing it was a bullshit scene. It was a bull- <laughs> Works for me. Worst scene in the movie. Worst uh, scene in the movie. Uh, so that's the runner-up. Uh, the scene that we already talked about, which is the uh, the uh, the dance ball scene where they are playing the Rick, uh, the Rick James. Uh, 
music playing the Rick James playing Rick James where the band is playing Rick James and Bruce Wayne comes in <laughs> and then uh, Selena and Bruce realizes that well each of them one of them is Batman the other one is Catwoman and just that interaction and how there's like a fear that suddenly kind of comes over Selena's face and then she goes do we have to you know do we have to fight now what is it you know it's like she doesn't want to and Bruce just says, well, let's just, let's just go outside, right? And like that little exchange, I, I think there are moments like that in this movie where they really flush out both of their characters really well. So that is something that I really like. And it's, this movie has so many weird stuff. I'm so happy that this movie exists. Uh, again, not a movie I it think... It does a really good job of balancing too. Yeah. Like not too many v- movies that I can think of can have two major villains in them and never and not feel like overcrowded in some way right but because i feel like we really got a good penguin story and a good catwoman story well we you know this is it did it did something very weird that i don't know if you guys caught on to but it it had the villains team up and then it had one of the villains basically switch sides yeah notice that yeah and it was re- it was really quick too. Like, Catwoman teamed up with Penguin to sabotage Batman, and then after realizing that it was Bruce and that she- her feelings for Bruce as Selina were outweighed by that, and that her in the betrayal and everything, that she, you know, she switched sides. And that perfectly. Which is just good Catwoman writing. Right, I mean, I'm just, but it does something that's very rare in in cinema with with bad guys. Yeah. So, um, my favorite scene is also the scene Vivin was describing. Um, I think that it's a very, it's that turning point, um, in the movie where, you know, it almost shows, even though Selena has lost her mind, that some part of her is still human and everything she yearned for having, you know, a man and, but also having some sort of power all kind of comes together. And Bruce is in the same boat. Like he's always wanted to find that true love, but also wanted to have, you know, being able to be the vigilante and and do the right thing. It it was kind of a, a a catalyst for both of them there. So I, I really enjoyed that scene as well. Yeah. I'm really surprised how well that scene. I, I I don't remember it as a kid, but now it's like I watched it. I was like, oh, I think that might be one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Um, favorite quote, gentlemen. Favorite quote. Uh, I think I'm gonna go with the one that I was talking about earlier with the Alfreds, uh, where he just calls him out for letting. That's a good one. That that's Batman. a good one. That would be my runner-up, but that's a good one. <laughs> Wait, what was it? Batman. Oh. Where he says, he says, Alfred, you let Vicky Vale into the Batcave. I'm just sitting there working, and you're like, you bring her up. And I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shit's my, that's the best fuck. I, I, I love that. That that payoff from the first movie was so fucking worth it. Um, but mine is, and so I knew the moment was coming up at the end of the movie where he takes off his mask or let's say more accurately rips off his mask. And I was like, wait, hold on. Isn't, isn't Max back there? Uh, 
and this is the greatness very of, much <laughs> this is the greatness of uh, uh, of Christopher Walken the way he delivers his line was everything he goes and Bruce why are you dressed up like Batman and, and yeah. <laughs> that's great and I think the retort to it from Catwoman is just as good he goes because he is Batman you moron I was like, that's. I, I don't know if it was that, that was originally the script or it was ad lib, but it felt so authentic and so funny. It was. It had everything in it. Um, God, I love Christopher Walken. My my favorite quote is when um, Batman is ousting the Penguin, uh-huh. and they start pelting him with. Um, fruit and eggs, oh, and he's, yeah. like, he's like, why is there always someone who brings eggs to <laughs> I fucking love that line, dude. You're absolutely right. That line is comedy gold. It was so good, and I completely forgot about it, because I'm like, literally everybody has, like, cabbage and tomatoes for some odd reason. And it's right. such a great tongue-in-cheek joke towards comic books because it's like every time something like that happens in a comic book, everybody for some reason is just carrying tomatoes and, and cabbage around and eggs. Every time. Every fucking time. Yeah, so God, I, that's so I, I appreciated funny. that line a lot because it's kind of like a uh, not a middle finger but kind of like a uh, yeah, this is we're, we're making fun of this in comic books kind of thing, so and to give DeVito credit, he actually performed that scene and refused to stand in. So I got to give him hats off to that for taking that, that pelting of uh, produce. There you go. I, gotta, I mean, if you, if you watch It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, you would like, you can't be shocked at, like, at him taking peltings of, of vegetables. Because the shit that he does in that, in It's Always Sunny, you're like, what the fuck is it? Like, he literally stuffed himself into a couch in one of the episodes. And like, you got to do what you got to like do. In comedy. I'm just throwing it out, dude. I'm, te- dude. I'm, Devito is so fucking underappreciated for how good he is as an actor and as a comedian. Because I do not think that he gets the credit that he deserves. I mean, did you? Did any so of you guys ever watch the show Taxi? Anybody ever seen any episodes of Taxi? It's older than I am, so I have seen quite a few episodes of Taxi. Actually, yeah, Taxi's really good. I've been, I don't have you ever watched Taxi? I have not. No, the Taxi's got some. It's got Christopher Lloyd in it. It's got Danny DeVito. It's a really, really and Tony Tony uh, Danza. Tony Danza. Yeah, it's got him in it. It's it's a really good funny show, but. It, it's got a lot of that old old school style humor in it too, but Devito is amazing in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he actually he he did uh, like he he tried his fucking hardest to be in show business. So you got to give that dude some fucking props. That dude went through years of rejection because just of just like the size and shape and look of him, people didn't want to fucking cast him for anything. So he fucking had to work his ass off to even get some somewhat of a shot. And you can it's almost like he's still hungry. You know what I mean? Like he still had like when when you watch him on screen and stuff, you can you get that hunger of like, I have to do my best or this might be the last time. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And 
<clears throat> I really appreciate that about it. Well, I haven't watched either uh, Odds Always Sunny in Philadelphia or Taxi, so stuff I have on my docket. Good stuff. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is super, like, if you ever wanted to feel better about yourself as a human being, the crew in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia will make you feel like you could do almost anything wrong and then watch like two episodes of It's Always Sunny and you're like, okay, I'm not that bad. I'm not, I'm doing all right. <laughs> right. I'm a comparatively good human. Right. <laughs> I think my, my parents, uh, my, my brother has a copy of It's Always Sunny at their house. I see it every time and then I'm like, eh, no, maybe not now. So maybe now is the time. Yeah, season two is when he comes in. Uh, he's not really, he's not in season one, but it's only like six episodes the first season. Oh, okay, okay. Gentlemen, cool. but worth the watch. Favorite performance? Oh, this is a tricky one. There are a couple of really good There ones. are absolutely, I, like the four main players in this movie are all really good. Who are like, you including as the four? <clears throat> Max Batman, uh, Christopher Walken. Yeah. Oh, Chris Rocker. Yeah, I was wondering if you're including Chris Rocker or not. Okay. Um... Yeah, I think I, I don't know, man. I feel like they all do a really good job of playing each one of their roles. But I'm really for tempted me, it's to. Penguin. It's I, Penguin. I think Devito. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Devin? Uh, yeah, it's gonna be Devito as Penguin. I think that uh, he, he could have easily not done as as good of a job as he did in this in this role. Um, because it's it's a character, and I think at the time Devito had not played a character even in you know prosthetics and stuff like that, but he brought a, a really creepy element to it, and just being the over the top Danny Devito that we all know now, and in, in in movies prior like Throw Mama from the Train and stuff like that, he's always like that really loud over the top character, but he got he got to portray the Penguin and be an actual character who is like that. The penguin is very over the top. Um, so he did a really good job. And I think that um, if someone tried to read, you know, redo the penguin character in, a, in another Batman movie, we're going to get one. So uh, it, we're going to see it's, it's a hard, that, that's the bar. So it's going to be hard to top that. But do you want me to tell you? I know who it is. Okay. I know who it is and I'm not happy about it. So okay. Wait, they, they cast the, the penguin in a movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's coming. It's Colin, it's Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell is going to be the next Penguin in the new Batman movie. Let that sink <laughs> in for a second. I want to cock slap Hollywood. I swear to God, those are poor choice of words. But... Hey, that's that's DC for you. That's DC for you, man. Danny DeVito is still alive. I don't know why we're not getting that again. I, I don't understand because honestly, I don't like like watching this performance. Is like I don't see how you can see any other human being in this role because I feel like he just crushes it on such a level that makes it so. Like how how am I supposed to look at anybody? Like Colin Farrell is a good actor. I'm not saying that he's not, but like how can anybody? Like it's like almost like the only other person that I can think of in a role in like the Batman universe that that nails it on a level like this would be like Heath Ledger as fucking 
the Joker. Like it's almost that that much good. Like he he steals the show while being a person that you are just disgusted with. Like there's a part of you that is constantly disgusted with things that he does, but yet you're so fucking intrigued that you can't look away. And to me, that is remarkable. Uh, here's my question. Uh, Devlin, uh, you have a, a bigger familiarity with the comics. Is there a version of Penguin that you can imagine that Colin Farrell is playing? Because I'm thinking it's going to be completely in a di- like the whole world has to the the world building has to be completely different from what Burton has created for for them to be choosing Farrell to play because that is not an obvious choice to me. So is there there's an iteration? Only, there's only been there's only been like four people to play the Penguin. There's been Burgess Meredith, Danny DeVito. I can't remember the kid's name from Gotham, and then now we get Colin Farrell. Now, if it's if this Batman is being portrayed the way I think it is, I think that the Penguin is going to be a a different variation of the character because of how the Batman looks. I think that this is going to be. I'm not saying it's steampunk, but I mean it's going to be kind of in that realm of almost like looking like Jack the Ripper. I'm not. I'm not okay. going to say that it is because that to me that if you're going to portray the penguin in that way because that he has the big top hat and the, the monocle and I think that it might be portrayed in that realm. I don't think we're going to get. I the bet they're going to give him a fucking mask. I bet they give him a fucking plague doctor mask. Yeah, they, I mean, yeah, they might give him a plague doctor mask, and then then we are talking steampunk at that point. So, well. You, I, mean, I don't. I don't know. I, I'm hoping that that's not the case. But Colin Farrell being put in a in a in a penguin suit doesn't seem like it's in the cards in my mind. If I if I'm casting this guy, I'm casting because I have a vision of what I want this character to look like. If I'm casting the penguin, if I want it to be kind of on the Danny DeVito level, then I'm going to cast somebody who I think could play that particular Danny DeVito character. Right. Well. So, that's just my take on it. I'm trying not to crap on it, but I'm thinking if all the villains that you're going to put Batman into, why are we not getting like, why are we not getting Two Face? Why are we not getting, why are we not getting the Riddler? Why are we not getting something outside of? Well, that, that's interesting that you say that because this might have some. <laughs> it might have some 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 things to do with the Return, where you said that there's a team up. I know that this new Batman also has the Riddler in it and has Catwoman in it. Okay. I mean, but I mean, that's a lot of villains. That's too much. That's too much. But that's the thing that's... with Batman. They always have a bunch of villains in it. It's not never a one single villain. I don't think so. I, 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 I haven't seen many I mean, they Batman got, they movies. They got Zoe Kravitz playing Catwoman, Selena Kyle, Colin Farrell playing... Uh, I really like her. So I'm, I'm curious about that one. And they got Andy Serkis playing Alfred, and then uh, they got Paul, Paul Dano playing uh, the Riddler, but they changed his name. Hmm. Yeah. Well, they changed like his actual name, and yeah, not, his like, name not is the Nashton. 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 That's interesting. I'm, I'm yeah. It's it's Edward Nashton, the Riddler, not Edward Nigma. Enigma. 
Uh, it, I mean, that's strike one there. If that guy's real, that, they're putting that character name as Edward Nashton. You, you're already, you already lost me, DC. You already lost me, Warner Brothers. Well, and I wonder if they're going for because they're going, they're doing a whole lot of weird shit with the timeline. There's even rumors that they're trying to keep Affleck on at, to play Batman still. So I wonder if they're trying to do – so they're doing a Flashpoint movie, right? And they're supposed to be putting uh, Keaton in as Batman in Flashpoint. Flashpoint opens the doors for a lot of things. If they do it correctly, they might be going a gaslight route for this version of Batman – which is kind of like a steampunk version of Batman. Yeah, there, there's a and I there's wonder, a cartoon version of that of Gaslight. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a like a cartoon movie of it's Gaslight. I think it's on on the DC website. I was looking at it the other day because I just I just purchased yeah. the Blu-ray and Blu-ray uh, Batman animated series. Picked it up for like fifty. Oh, years. very nice. So I'm I was looking at other Batmans. They said so they're selling it. They're selling a, an 80 year anniversary, and it's got like the like the it's like 18 movies and it's like all the cartoon movies like killing joke and all the stuff that goes down the list batman year one all that stuff so i was looking there's a gaslight one in there interesting okay i might have to i might have to look at that because see he they exist in oh man what the hell is that world called it's the biggest dc event that ever existed i can't think of what the fuck it's called like I keep wanting to say Kingdom Come, but that's not what it's called. I've read Kingdom Come, but I don't think that'll say that's not a multi. No, it's not that. It's no, it's not that. That's just the image that I keep popping into my head because I have a Kingdom Come background on my computer. Oh, um, what the fuck is it? I can't. There's a big DC Universe crossover event that exists that links together a lot of the different worlds uh, within the DC. Is universe. it crisis or like on a, infinite earths? Crisis on infinite earths. Yes, that that's it. Crisis. But haven't they already Couldn't done that? Haven't they already done that on TV? Not as, not as if they did a kind of version of it, but it didn't, they, like I've seen the crisis version on TV and it's not right. Like it doesn't, it doesn't show the full. Ex- I mean, they did the best that they could in the constraints of TV, but so I don't really fault them for that. But at the same time, there's so much that you can do with Crisis. So I, it makes me wonder if because they're they have like currently would have like three people playing Batman in this current universe, are they trying to to give us? like a, a gaslight version of of Batman and Penguin and stuff like that. And that's what we're going to get out of this, which would be okay. Like, I'd be okay with it personally, um, as long as that's the route that they're going and they commit to it. <clears throat> I think they I know not everybody else would be, but... <laughs> well, I think they're reverse engineering from, from just the uh, total bomb that was Justice League. So they tried to replicate the Marvel formula and completely failed at it. And then I think what they realized is after Aquaman and a couple of other solo movies, Wonder Woman, those were hits. 
and they suddenly realize, well, what we can do is let's have these individual directors coming in, let them just have a blank canvas, create the type of stories that they want, and then we can basically figure out how to, if we need to bring them all together in different ways or not bring them together. So then you can have Ben Affleck still be Batman or Michael Keaton coming back and you can have this steampunk version of Batman. You know, that'd be its own thing. It doesn't have to interfere with anything else. So the directors are not obliged to have to tie everything with a bow tie together. Like everything has to be connected because that I think has caused a lot of directors in the past, especially in Marvel, uh, like Edgar Wright and even uh, Scott Derrickson, who was uh, who did the first Doctor Strange, he kind of pulled out of the second one because there's so many creative differences that's happening because Marvel has to have all products line up to its central kind of story that's running. So individual directors feel constrained, kind of being pigeonholed to that. I, I still yeah. want my Nightwing movie, I was promised, at the end of Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> okay. That would have been a fucking piece of shit movie. A Nightwing movie? That's the worst part. Of... No, the fucking... We'll get to that. I'm so mad about that fucking end of Dark Knight Rises. <clears throat> That's what I mean. I, I, I'm, I'm so upset that we have not got a Nightwing movie out of that. The whole purpose. Well, of, I would have like whole, the whole purpose of, of of giving us that shitty ending was like, hey, we're gonna make this guy Nightwing. We'll we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there because I think we will end up talking about that for too long. No, uh, All right, uh, we gotta do ratings, gentlemen. All right, let's do ratings. All right, I'll go first this week. I'll give it a nine point five, just like the last one. My only complaint about this movie is that everything really felt. On top of each other in the scenes, like there was only like six sets, it didn't feel open. I don't think they incorporated enough of the Warner Brothers lot in this movie um, that they have access to. I think that it was just kind of boxed into one area of of the Warner Brothers lot, and that's what we got. Right. So, um, I'll, I'll go ahead and go next. Uh, Seven point five. I believe, or seven, I think is what I gave Batman. Uh, I'll go ahead and give this uh, an eight. Uh, actually, I'll give it an 8.5. I really enjoyed it. There are a few drawbacks, but overall, I think it was a really good movie. Um, I'm going to give it a nine. I don't... Uh, there were a couple of complaints that I had with it as far as, like, I really don't like the fact that Selena Kyle wasn't, like, an orphan. Uh, for some reason that kind of irks me. Um, and then I really hate the fact that Batman seems so like rip off his mask happy in this movie. Uh, that scene that Vivian liked, I hated. So um, it's really that, that those two little things that kind of really take it down enough for me. Um, but uh I still think it's a, it's a super solid movie and and easily if if we wouldn't have gotten to the Dark Knight trilogy, this would be the best Batman. Well, that's a good way of putting it. I didn't even think of it that yeah. way. 
but you're right this this definitely for me also if if i completely erase the dark naturally this would probably be the best batman batman yeah batman movie all right gentlemen i think we've done batman returns justice and it's time to move on to segment two don't you think yes let's do it all right folks we'll be right back on over there we'll be right back with segment two Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Batcave. We are in our second and currently final segment while we are doing our 10 episodes Batman Marathon extravaganza. So, we are doing that, and with me, uh, as always, is the people from the last segment. Devlin and Vivian. So today's question, who's asking today's question? That's Viv. Viv has a surprise question. Neither one of us have actually heard this question yet. So. Oh, surprise. We're going to have to think on the fly, boys. So. That's right. Just like the riddle. Ordinary, riddle me this. Ordinarily, they were in the sea. Catwoman. Um, <laughs> sea for Catwoman, Batman. Obviously. Um, so, ordinarily, we do three questions during this segment, but for our special Batman segment, we're only doing one because we get out of hand when we talk about Batman. So, I think if we did three questions, our second segment would be just as long as the rest of our episodes. Also, we also wouldn't have a lot of questions for 10 episodes. So, we'd run out of questions. That- I don't know. Like, I, 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 we could probably stretch three questions. Like, I could probably come up with thirty Batman related questions. Yeah, I, 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 I think, I think we can come up with questions. My worry is us getting divorced because we're taking so long. Oh yeah, uh, I was specifically instructed. Please hurry up. Yeah, no, same here. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> Same rules. Same rules. Yeah. <laughs> uh, love you. Love you, Beth. Okay. All right. Yeah, Having right. said that, here's the question. So, um, having gone to watch now three of the Batman movies and looking forward to the rest of them, I, I think what's getting highlighted here is each, um, in the case of the movies, each director is getting a chance to bring their unique vision to the Batman universe. So the character of Batman itself and also Gotham is very much um, an um, output of how that artist um, sees the world. And so that is very unique to the Batman character. We talked about this in the last segment. So my question is an outgrowth of that. Um, Initially, I was going to say, is there... So, so far, we've had uh, Tim Burton... Joel Schumacher, Christopher Nolan, Zack Snyder, and uh, Matt Reeves, who's going to be the latest director uh, tackling uh, Batman. Uh, And they've all had their unique spin. Uh, But in your own, if you had to, if you go to choose a director, you know, who would be the ideal director for you for uh, for a Batman story or a Batman movie? So that was my initial question. But then I thought about it. I think it would be more interesting if uh, I want to expand the question to it doesn't have to be just a director. 
you can you make it it can be a maybe a um a just a regular writer it can be a comic book artist it can be a video game creator so i mean already some of the greats like uh alan moore and frank miller and uh grand morrison they've all you know taken their spin at uh batman so there is a a history here and Batman is that perfect character who gets to kind of morph based on what the creator brings to brings to the table. So that rambling question hopefully sets up some ideas of who you guys would want to tackle the Batman character. Okay. So uh, on this brief couple of moments, as you're mentioning the question, one name popped into mind as a director, but it would have to work with a specific villain and I almost would want the focus to primarily be on the villain and his antics. Uh, and that director is Jordan Peele and the character would be Scarecrow. I think Jordan Peele has proven himself to be quite a horror director. And I think that the trailers for this new uh, Candyman reboot he's doing look super fucking awesome and i feel like if he brought that kind of an energy to the scarecrow character <clears throat> you could make one hell of a horror-esque batman movie out of it and i think that that would be cool as fuck to see that's a really good one uh sounds like you you really like the movie us i do really like the movie us i think he's I think he's just so fucking brilliant. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm a huge fan of his work. I think he's yeah. just brilliant. Not same here. Um, unfortunately, I still haven't seen the first, uh, his first uh, debut film, which won all the accolades. I'm just purely a fan of your, uh, his sketch comedy, and I've seen the movie Us, which bo- um, both of those I love. I just haven't had the chance to watch Get Out yet, so... Definitely have to do that. I, but I can see him, if, especially if the focus is going to be on Scarecrow, he'd knock it out of the park. That's what I was thinking. I think that Scarecrow is a perfect... Scarecrow is probably like... You could also do like uh, like maybe some Mad Hatter or some other types. There's, there's a couple of villains that would fit in there. You uh-huh. could maybe make a Joker movie out of it, but like... If, I think if you like, I think when it comes to pure horror, I think Scarecrow is just the scariest premise of a villain, just because he can he fucks with you psychologically. Yeah, and having that type of a character directed by Jordan Peele, I think would be a really cool fucking thing to see. Right, no, one hundred. I did not think about that, and I really love it. That's a good choice. If you're listening, DC, I just want like a special thanks to you. <laughs> yes, yes, just a mention. <laughs> just, just right at the end of the the ten minute uh, uh, post credits, just mention also Jason Quinn. Yeah, that's all I'm looking for. All right, um, Devlin. So <clears throat> my my choices would be. I would really want to see Alan Moore write a, a Batman movie. He wrote The Killing Joke. He had a hand in writing The Killing Joke. Mm-hmm. And that is a a great, very dark 
take on the Joker Batman relationship. And I think, and you know, of course, he wrote the Watchmen, helped write the Watchmen. So I'm really, I really love his realistic, dark twist on things. Um, but I, I think it, if I was going to have that, I would want someone who really appreciates comic books and the lore of Batman to direct this. And that would be Kevin Smith. Well, I know we talk about Kevin Smith in the comedy realm, and, and he's getting ready to release a horror movie. Um, and I think that Kevin would take this so seriously, especially if Alan Moore writes it. And it would be a Batman I think that we all could appreciate on a certain level. I think if there's any director out there that loves Batman more than most fans do, it would it would be Kevin Smith. So I think you're absolutely right in him wanting to do as much as he can to stay true to the source material. I worry a bit about it. However, he does he has proven himself when it comes to directing um, like the DC TV series. He's done a couple episodes of Supergirl, some episodes of Flash, and each one of the episodes that he does on the those series, they they not only blend well into the overall series, which is obviously what you want, but at the same time they do a really good job of of sticking true to the source material. <clears throat> Granted, he does do a uh, a fair bit of uh, working JMU's in as often as he can. Well, that's um, what you do when you got when you got money and then you're in Hollywood, you put your buddies in movies. He makes fun of well, himself for doing true. that. It's true, but the beauty of what he does with him in the DC superhero uh, TV shows is he usually gives he gives Jay roles where unless you know because like his face is covered, so unless you know that it's Jay, you don't know that it's fucking Jay at all. Right. But I do think that it's kind of funny that he keeps he gives him like stormtrooper roles basically. Nice. Nice. So I appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. But it, it, and and getting back to to Kevin, like I said, I think that I would. I just what I really wish is that DC would would do something like that instead of going out and just phoning it in on a lot of movies and and stick to source material. You have it in front in front of you, Warner Brothers. You have it in front of you. I don't know why you would do that, but. For me, if I'm if I'm picking out a movie to to have made, I want some of the best writers. I want someone who I know is going to appreciate the level of of commitment to the Batman character in a movie that I know Kevin Smith would. And the it only could be, other it could be the anything issue that I see. The only issue that I see between sorry, the only issue that I see is is have you ever read the Watchmen script? Yeah, or seen like an Alan Moore script. That dude is so meticulous. Yeah, when it comes to writing, like it's absolutely insane to the point where, and and the way he scripts a comic book is he actually writes a comic book the way you would direct a scene and write the script for a movie. So he's almost twofold in there. Like when I used to write comics myself, I used to write more as like a suggestion so it was like a it was kind of like a screenplay style he writes it as if it's a screenplay and a direction all in one 
kind of kind of thing. So you can't really. I think you could almost if 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 Alan Moore is scripting it, you could almost put any director that's willing to f- fill in his direction or you know bring his vision to life in that role, and it would be fine. Just simply because Alan Moore is such a so meticulous that as long as the person follows what's on the page they'll do fine no yeah and i understand i just think that i think kevin with his love of comics his love of batman i think that it would bring something different to the table even visionary even going if you went you know you know screen for screen of what alan moore wanted to do i think that just kevin for me i think when i think comic books and someone that has not directed a comic book movie I feel like like Smith needs to, it needs to happen. As much as the guy the guy owns an own, the guy owns his own comic book shop. I mean, I feel like this this should happen this, or this should have happened. And I and I I kind of understand why he doesn't do it, but at the same time, I'm like, if you if Vivian's question is being posed to me, I'm like, this is like I love Alan Moore's writing. I love how he's very meticulous. I love that because sometimes. Comics need that. You need that meticulous storytelling within comics because you're it's compacted sometimes. But Moore's also done a lot of graphic novels, you know, and so you get a lot more meat on the bone of that that story. So I really, like I said, I think that just the meshing of those two would be night and day. But I think it would really work. Yeah, I mean, it definitely could. I think uh, I. I I wonder if I, I don't know specifically has does, has has he ever mentioned why he doesn't direct comic book movies? No, I not just more, I, but Smith. But but Smith, I don't know. I just don't. I I'm not sure if he feels like if he if he does one, people will crap on it, and it'll be just really bad. Like he, he there's such a high bar now with comic book movies, like a like a fear kind of thing. Yeah, like like a fear, he, like if he doesn't just, do it justice, people like. The, the aura of Kevin Smith being such a comic book nerd would, would, would crap on, you know, fans would crap on him. But I feel like, you know, he's doing Supergirl and The Flash. Like, he's kind of putting his t- dipping his toes in it. And I think that it'll eventually happen. I just, you know, like I said, I really want to see his vision. Even We can throw Alan Moore out the window. Let's say Kevin Smith just wrote a, co- a Batman movie. I think that we would get a very superb Batman movie. I think we could also, because he's he's one of the people that helped launch the '66 like comics, like when they brought them back in comic book form more in the last like decade or so. Kevin Smith is one of the people reasons why that came why they came back. I think he actually might have been one of the people that penned one of the first few issues of it, or first few like uh, series runs anyway. Um, and I'm wondering if we would get something more along those type of lines or if we would get a more serious Batman. Because that's I, I feel like he could easily tackle both because he has such a respect for Batman uh, and, and the darkness and stuff that he does have. But I think that we could also I could also see him just trying to make like silly 60s Batman and just have some I just wonder which way he would choose, <laughs> like given it, if it was his opportunity. I don't know. Like I said, I, I just think that that's 
that that's my pick. I, and again, like I said, I just if you if you if you're running down the rolodex of people who really love comic books that we know love comic books, I I feel like Smith's in there. Oh yeah, for sure. Vivin, you posed the question. Uh, let's hear yours. Um. Well, I do want to say that uh, I think Kevin Smith. I think he did put his hat in in writing Superman in the '90s, right? Um, I I I think it might. I don't think it's more. It's not on him. It might have been just a case where the studios never would have or hasn't so far let him have the chance because those are, you know, big tentpole blockbuster movies that cost millions of dollars. I just don't think that somebody who can handle that kind of uh, film or franchise. I'm not saying they're right. No, but... um, Kevin Smith is has written in Daredevil, Green Arrow, Spider Man, Batman. Uh, Batman. He did. He did. Jason is right. He did Batman sixty six meets Green Hornet, and that's the only ones that he's done. He's not dipped his toes in the Superman. No, I think, comic, was, I think he was. I think he. Yeah, I think he. I think what what Viv is saying, and I think he actually might be right, is that Kevin tried to be some some part of the production of the Superman movie that Nicolas Cage was going to be in. Oh, the uh, the ill fated one. Yes, <clears throat> that's what I think he was. I think yeah. Smith was a yeah. part of that in some capacity, or at least tried to be. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure that was. I just don't think that he was. Uh, he wasn't big I, he was, he, Yeah, he wasn't beloved and and respected enough in the in the Hollywood community for his uh, his his eye for stuff like that. And I just don't. Again, like I said, I think that he gets a bad rap sometimes from the studio because, like I said, you look at a guy and you're like, he does. He looks. You know, look how he dresses. He doesn't dress like a guy that should be directing and. And he goes out and makes these blockbuster movies that make tons of money. And, you know, they're kind of under the radar. But, again, I look at him and I go, this guy loves comic books. This is the, this is the guy you want to direct your comic book movie. Yeah, I think a lot of the people, I mean, the Russos obviously did a great job. And they've, I mean, honestly, the Russos are kind of, they, can, they can't do any wrong almost is what it seems like. They've, they're, you know, fucking start outs with community and then into the films and stuff they did great and they they're big lovers of comics and if they can knock it out of the park why not give you know another you know big comic book nerd a shot you know i think you're right honestly I, I, i'd love to see it i think part of that also has to do with community a couple of the episodes really became a playground for them to show how well they are, how good they are at directing action and big yeah. set pieces. And yeah, I think that the studio, part of the, you know, the reason they hired the Russos was they were able to see that they were, what they were able to pull off with a limited budget. And that could be also a hindrance that might be. And I think Smith himself has kind of said this or at least insinuated that you know, big action pieces might not be his forte. And when you're making a comic book superhero movie and you're adapting that into a movie, most of the time you need those big, you know, if the if the studio is going to put that money, they want those, they want to see that big box on the screen. So 
well, uh, and that could be yeah. a hindrance. I think I think he's done a really good job of proving himself. I think he's much more a story driven yeah. writer and director, a hundred percent. But I think Batman lends himself that way. Like if he went for like say if he was adept adapting the long Halloween into a movie form, that would be really fucking mm-hmm. cool because it's a lot of it's much it's very much a story driven movie and there are story driven comic and there's very little action in it. Just a lot of death that happens, and I think that he could pull those that off really well. I think you just have to have the right kind of context of the story for him to do. Like if you are going for, you know, big, you know, he's not going to fight Steppenwolf in his movie. That's not going to fucking happen. But if we if we focus it down on a lower tier uh, villain and don't do a whole bunch of over the top like fighting sequences and focus more on like the story and like the detective side of Batman, then I think he could do a really good job. 100% agree. Yeah. I think, Uh, I I think that maybe like a character like sub zero or not sub zero, Mr. Freeze. I'm sorry. I was thinking about the movie. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Freeze would be a perfect, perfect opportunity because there's a lot of dialogue with, with Mr. Freeze and Batman and, you know, there are action sequences, but I think that that would be a perfect villain for him if we were they were doing a Batman movie. Yeah, I think I think I think he'd be a good one. I think he's. Uh, I think there's also a lot of torment that goes on between both both characters, and I think that we'd see a lot of that on there. And I think I think Smith does a good job of of revealing characters pain in dialogue even in silly movies like some of the some of the silly shit that he puts out sometimes there's like there's those moments of smith knowledge where he'll just drop like some real heavy shit on you and then just you know kind of just goes right past it but i think if he you know had those two characters on screen we'd kind of get a lot more of that and you know see just the tragedy between the two of them and i think that'd be kind of cool yeah definitely uh interesting choices uh much better than what you know sometimes you get out of the uh, straight and narrow hollywood picks so and that's what i was hoping for in this conversation and for myself that's kind of i try to go in so many different directions as far as it's, it's a fun playground because you can take batman in so many different ways like if you do uh, a director like Ridley Scott, who has created two of my favorite world-building movies, which is the Alien, uh, the first Alien movie, um, Blade Runner. Those two are just such great uh, universes that he has created that uh, these characters exist in. So Batman and Gotham lends itself for, for a director like that. Um, or even, I mean, what if you go like the opposite direction, like a super... Uh, action-oriented uh, type of director like uh, you John Woo. <laughs> okay. I don't know if that's what you're thinking. No, I was. I was like, if he says Michael Bay, I'll slap the shit out of him. I would drive to his house right now and slap the shit out of him. Uh, uh, Michael Bay, pick me up on the way. Match. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So fucking um, mad. Well, I, you know, it's funny that you say it's Ridley Scott and Blade Runner because the, the, the city in Blade Runner reminds me of Gotham City a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
I, I think it almost became a, a jumping off point. At least Tim Burton should have, you know, something off that might have like triggered something in his mind. Like this is doable on film. I would um, honestly love to see Ridley Scott direct like, like a Gotham city tales, like a, like a kind of like a, almost like an anthology style product of like, Oh yeah. Just multiple character perspectives and like individual stories that make up like an overarching storyline. So maybe not primarily focused on like the Batman character, but like just the, like the story of Gotham itself. Sure. I mean like, I mean like, you know, I mean like a run on villains where like it's, it's all about the villains and then Batman breaks it up. Well, I mean, maybe that, or maybe like, I mean, it could be anybody really. I mean, it could be, I mean, we could have, you know, some commissioner Gordon stuff going on. We could get like, uh, just some nobody characters that exist in Gotham. Um, maybe, you know, who would be great at that? Exactly what you're saying. A young Francis Ford Coppola, like around the time that he was doing Godfather, like he knows how to take a bunch of characters make them super interesting, put them into a world that you suddenly find interesting. Yeah, like Gotham yeah but his fight scenes that... would be garbage because there'd be a full of daylight. In <laughs> <laughs> it'd look like this. It'd be worse than 66 Batman fight scenes. Like, way worse. Yeah, that's what that, that's what that scene needed. It was just like a big pow, right? Where the pow, daylight pow. was. Right, that, that second right when it happens. I think with a video playback village these days where you get to see exactly what you're shooting, you might avoid that. Uh, I'm guessing, you know, in those days you shoot, you're not quite sure what you got. You see the next day well, the product I, of what you I shot. I know. So. It, it just, that scene always makes me laugh because I love the character and he's like, there's a very pivotal scene in the movie and like yeah, he's beating yeah. the crap out of this dude because there's close-ups and there's that long wide shot and there's just a full of daylight. Yeah, uh, no, I, I hear you. Sorry, so. I, I sorry. I just you said Godfather, and I was like fight scene, Batman <laughs> fight scene. Maybe not so much. Batman whips. All right, fine. Back to John Wu. <laughs> <laughs> Back to John Wu fight scenes. Maybe we can do a dual director here. Is, um, what did John Wu direct? That I can't think of what a. I'm, well, his I'm American movies are like Face Off. Uh, a lot of 90s movies. Uh, okay. Hard Target with Jean-Claude uh, Jean Van Damme. But the movies that I really like is are his uh, Asian movies before he came here, like A Better Tomorrow, The Killer. Uh, those are like, if you get a chance to see any of those movies, the action sequences in those films are like nothing you've seen. It is so good. And they're like, they're, <clears throat> they're basically balletic gunfights. I mean, you, you've seen John Wick, but like it's i don't want to say it's on another level but this is way before any of that came along and it's so 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 good who did um, uh who did who did point break point break oh i was going to bring her up too catherine bigelow she's really good too she she did a couple of she action has amazing movies. action sequences oh yes that chase scene is and, next level yeah, I, I would. If you I put would probably put if you put the Joker colors on Swayze's outfit, like that's a Batman and Joker chase scene. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And a really fucking good one too. Like, yeah, but almost it would have to be like, I, I mean, we would almost need a young Batman or or like Batman's trying to Batman's gone and it's it's Robin chasing him, and so Batman's trying to cut him off at the pass kind of situation. Yeah. 
That would be kind of cool. That'd be yeah. badness. <clears throat> Catherine Blue, though, would be a great choice. Yeah, um, Keanu Reeves so, could play Robin. You're absolutely yeah. right. <laughs> uh, young Johnny Utah. Um, that would have been a, he would have made a so, badass fucking Nightwing. Let's be honest. Oh, yes. Back in the Did day. You know that he's, do you Probably know he's, he's about to about to release his own comic book? Yes, I heard that the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I seen some panels. Looks badass. Berserker. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So looks good. Amazing. Yeah, uh, definitely looking forward to that. Anyway, back to Batman. Um, so for me, I know for both of you, the villains hold a lot of sway. For me, I've always it's it's it starts with Batman and his kind of. I've always been interested in his psychology, his trauma, and and his, frankly, his detective skills. So I don't think a movie has really put that to use. And the one that I was coming up with was, I think he could put Fincher in directing a, a Batman movie that is completely centered around a case that is very much unfolds like a mystery. And... Mm-hmm. And you have to... Uh, He'd never he do it, but it'd be awesome. Yeah, no, he would never in a million years do it. He just wouldn't be interested in it. But uh, in a different universe, he might be persuaded to do one, and he would bring his kind of almost anal uh, attention to detail to uh, this type of mystery story. And he would do great at it because he's done mystery stories like Girl with a Dragon Tattoo or even serial killer movies like Zodiac and he and, and Seven. All of these movies kind of are, I think, he knows how to create that city, that atmosphere, and then put characters, and he knows how to go super dark. So this would be a radar movie, but you don't have to make it a big budget film. This could be like a 15 or $20 million film, but it just it happens to have the main character be a vigilante wearing a mask. But he's just like any other story he's trying to solve a crime and he has to figure it out piece by piece i would like to see that process on screen i think uh if you kind of you gave you know how we were talking about that i was talking about jordan peele doing it if you Mm -hmm. made scarecrow like a almost like a like a monster movie type villain and didn't Mm -hmm. necessarily focus on it from his point of view but took mm-hmm. it from like a point of view of of the per- of Batman trying to find him, and then yeah. we get like various victims. Then that would probably work out to being close to what you're hoping for. But um, right, exactly. That's exactly yeah. what, what <clears throat> I would. I, the... I've also always loved the detective side of Batman, and I feel like you very rarely do we get enough of that. No, yeah, you very rarely get it. And most of the time in the movies, Batman, he, they, they show him well as a fighter. Well, some of the movies do. But beyond that, he does not seem to be using his brains a lot. So uh, I just would like to see that other side of his intellect also being shown on screen. I feel like, uh, or a, not to interrupt, but I feel like maybe like a noir movie. Like a yeah, Batman yeah. noir movie. Yeah, I'd fuck with that. I think that I think that would be cool, like a like a like an old old style, like L.A. or not L.A. New York noir style, like 
1930s gangster. Or actually, the storyline for Gotham by Gaslight, which is like even older than that. Yeah. It's about him hunting down and like uh, Jack the Ripper. That would be a fucking cool ass one to do. Yeah, but I was just oh, I like was thinking because I because I love the I love Art Deco and I'm thinking yeah. I'm thinking like that would be yeah. cool. like it would be not not a not a over like a, a hokey like Adam West looking Batman but like a, a like like a, you know I'm I'm watching the animated series right now and I'm like because it's so uh, Art Deco just filled in there I'm like man that would be a really good and you guys are talking about right now that'd be a really good like movie for someone to direct like an old timey Batman movie. Like a noir, and it fills in. It fills in. It fills in Vivin's theory and your theory of detective work, mm-hmm. and yeah, wanting sure. to see more side of it. And I thought like a noir would be cool. Yeah, yeah. There, um, there was a uh, uh, a um, he started in novels, but his movies. I mean, his stories got adapted to the movies, and he was one of the kind of the prime people for the noir genre uh, his name was Raymond Chandler and I think I mean like he would also be able to write like a nice pulp version of a Batman mystery story that would be set in that era I mean he is from that era so that would be amazing sorry I had a, um, I had a friend's moment there Jason do you know what I'm talking about oh yeah when when Joey asked Chandler uh name a fame name another famous Chandler and he goes Raymond Chandler and he's like, you make somebody that's not made up. <laughs> so, that, so as soon as you said Raymond Chandler, I'm like, man, that, that thing popped in my head. I was like, we're, we're not doing somebody that's not made up. Huh? I'm just, I'm, I wasn't trying to belly laugh into the mic. So I'm like, I got no, to no, interrupt. That's him. great. Give, give him that that's so I can great. laugh a little bit. But go ahead. Just keep interrupting. Go ahead. No, no, no. That's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, he is real. He's uh, written books like The Big Sleep. So uh, definitely uh, one of the godfathers of the noir genre. Uh, so that's why I think he would be a great writer. And obviously, if you'd get Fincher to do it, that would be so amazing. I will uh, also accept a movie uh, of which is basically uh, Die Hard in Arkham Asylum. Which is basically the Arkham Asylum video game in a nutshell, but still that. Oh, oh, you know then what I would want? Um, have you guys seen the movie The Raid? I have seen clips of the movie The Raid. Okay, it is it is so badass. I mean, the action sequence in that movie is next level. Both the first one and the second movie. That director, uh, I forget what his name is, but... He, I mean, if you're doing a movie that's set in Arkham Asylum and Batman has to get out, get him. Get him as, uh, I think his name is Gareth Evans. He would be so good. I mean, that is essentially the concept of the Arkham Asylum video game is very much that. But Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Basically, the Joker traps Batman inside Ar- Loxy Man. He takes over Arkham and Loxy Man and taunts him the whole time. Yeah, he's just like an asshole to him, like while he's trying to escape. Okay, Actually, so he's, trying to, he's he's trying to like recapture him. Yeah, there, you've you you the first game is very much like of a, a close quarters in in Arkham Asylum game. 
Then the second one is an open world inside Gotham where they've closed off all routes of Gotham. And then the third one is like whatever the fuck they're doing. <laughs> in that one that you played. You mean like, here's a, yeah, it's like I think the third one is basically like here's a Batmobile, shut the fuck up about the rest of the game. Okay. Well this one I think the premise starts with Scarecrow taking over the city and basically everybody leaves and it's just Batman trying to. Uh, obviously, I haven't played the other one, so I could not compare. But I, I like the concept of the first one, which is you're just getting trapped in a specific area, which I'm sure is great for yeah. video games. Yeah, we'd be the way to get itself to a great video game play and video game development because it's, it's, you're able to do a whole lot in a small area. Exactly. Speaking of that, I had another name come up, but you guys are much better video game connoisseurs, so you guys could probably tell me if this is a terrible idea or a decent idea. What about Hideo Kojima? No. Ugh, no. No? No. I'm super interested in, in I seeing think his... He's, I think... I can't I get into those. Hideo uh, Kojima he did is a... Metal Gear Solid. He he does Metal Gear Solid and Silent Hill. Maybe and well, the, I don't fucking know. Maybe. No, and what is his latest game? The latest and, game. And that's why I don't just... care. His latest game was called uh, Walk. Basically, is all you do is you fucking walk and carry okay. shit. I mean, he's he's super out there, but obviously, it's like that. Re- I think I think the problem is is this is the first. So Hideo Kojima used to work for. Um, I can't think of what the fucking publishing studio is right now. Right off the top of my head. But anyway, they he used to work for this one publishing studio okay. in, in Japan. And that's where okay. they made he made Metal Gear and Silent Hill. And then uh, they had a lot of creative differences. And I think part of it is he wanted more creative control and they wanted more creative control over their projects. So there was this whole big spill out over whether or not he was quote-unquote, being held ca- uh, captive by that studio. And then uh, during that time period, PlayStation offered him a contract to develop a game. And they were going to like they were gonna let him fund his own studio, and they were going to back him financially, and then they'd let him back do whatever game he wanted. Well, the first game he did outside of that studio is the one that's out now oh, de- where you just... Death Stranding? Death Stranding, right? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I was just saying Death Stranding. I think that's the, that's the game. Yeah, it's very not entertaining, though. Like, I've, I've never personally played it, but I've watched somebody play it, and it looks like the most boring fucking video game you could ever play. Like, I've watched numerous videos because I'm like, well, maybe it's not. And then, like, there are people that are hardcore Hideo Kojima fans, like, fanboy-level fans that play this game and were like, yeah, he's lost it. So I don't know okay. how much of it is truly him and how much of it is the studio he used to work for helping so gear his ideas into mm-hmm. an actual working piece of art. Okay. So, uh, I mean, I, I agree with that because I, I'm seeing really opposing 
um, reviews here. Some are calling it a masterpiece. Some are completely hating it. Some are saying, obviously, what you said is boring. I have a friend who was like, man, he was like swore by it. It is like the greatest game ever created. So I guess it's one of those polarizing things where either you love it or you absolutely hate it. Yeah, and I don't think that that's, that's not what you want for a Batman game. I think right, right, right. I think as far as like the gameplay mechanics go for like a Metal Gear Solid type of situation, that would make that's almost exactly like what you get in Arkham Asylum. You get that stealth, you know, sneaking around through mm-hmm. pipes and and different shit. So if that's what you want, then yeah. Arkham Asylum already has that. Okay. What is that uh, game, Sprinter Cell? I used to, when I used to play that, I was like, oh, this would make a great Batman game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, essentially, that's essentially they, the studio that developed those games, the first two, the first two are absolute masterpieces in, uh, in, in fucking, not only in superhero video games, but in, in, in video games in general. They're just super fun, and I've only ever played three games in my entire life that actually made you feel like you were a superhero. And I'm going to lump those two games as one. And then the Spider-Man game. And then there's another game um, that I can't think of the fucking name. name. It's called like some, some it's about you. You're infected with some sort of a disease that gives you like superpowers. But those three games are the only games that I've ever played that like just holding the controller, you feel like a badass superhero. And that's, okay. that's a cool thing. All right. Very nice. Um, all right. I, I think I got what I needed out of this question. Um, I'm sorry to say we went well past our 30 minute mark. Uh, I blame Canada. Canada. Yes. Um, so Let's give the audience a preview of what we are watching next week. So, next week, we will be changing directors because the studio changed directors. Uh, it will be the 1995 Joel Schumacher, Batman Forever, uh, starring the indelible Val Kilmer, the odd choice uh, Tommy Lee Jones, oh. and... Uh, the indisputable Jim Carrey. Also, Nicole Kidman is in it. So, uh, should be. I am super interested in going back and watching this movie again before the Nolan films. I think Batman Forever was the one that I always enjoyed watching as a film. So, I really am curious to go back and watch it and see if it holds up for me or will I suddenly see all the flaws? There. There aren't as many flaws in this one as there are in the next one, unless we count the entire Tommy Lee Jones performance. Uh, <laughs> what, what was Mr. Jones thinking? I mean, really, no, was he really no, trying to compete no, with Jim Carrey? No, no, What was the studio thinking? Why? Why didn't we give this role to Billy D. Williams? Yeah. Why, why, why? Well, obviously, they were trying to take it a completely different direction. I get that, but... If it's Tommy Lee Joker, if, and I don't like it. I, no, I, I don't even really know if that's it. quite what's going on there. Like, it's just... Like, he looks good. I'll give him that. Like, as far as, like, know. the animation style 
version of his face, I'll give him the fact that they made that shit purple. And I like that better than the fact that Nolan's version is like realistic. Ah, so aesthetic choices. Okay. At least it's uh, consistent with the world he's building. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's <laughs> Okay, there's not really much defending Tommy Lee's... Nah, I, was, I was going to say, Jason, like, when you come over to pick me up to go slap Vivin, I'm going to slap you first. <laughs> no, like, it's like... Like, I hate Tommy... Like, anybody that knows me knows that this is a, a, a deep statement that I'm making. I hate Tommy Lee's performance in this movie as much as I hate Bad Santa and Billy Bob Thornton in general uh, as a result of Bad Santa mostly. But that's that is a big statement for me and that is mostly because I love Christmas and I hate Bad Santa and that's so to put that comparatively it's a big statement. Well, you, You haven't even got the JFK yet so you think you you know, you've seen enough Tommy Lee Jones. Where do you get a JFK? I, I don't hate Tommy Lee Jones. I don't hate Tommy Lee Jones. I like Tommy Lee Jones. I hate Tommy Lee Jones's Two Face. Yeah, yeah. I think generally he is a good uh, actor. I, I, mean, I hate Billy I Bob. Almost... <laughs> I, I can't say anything about that. I don't hate Billy Bob Thornton. I think most he's a good actor. I really like the the times when he gets hurt in Tombstone. You mean Wider smacks the shit out of him? That's a beautiful scene. One of my favorite scenes in, in cinematic I'm, history. I'm surprised it wasn't your favorite scene in, in the movie. I can remember it wasn't. We didn't, do, we didn't do favorite scenes back then. Oh, yeah. That's right. We didn't do favorite scenes. Well, well there you go. You can now, you can now christen it. Retroactively. Retroactively. Let's not talk too much about this movie because we got to watch it and review it next week. So That's true. But Jason, in there. Uh, Jason, do do us the honors there. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, our time has come. Um, so it is the closing of this, our 44th episode of the Know Your Cinema podcast. Uh, we hope that all of you wonderful people at home enjoyed listening to this as much as we enjoyed making it. Uh, I know we get a little bit off track when it comes to certain things. And I appreciate you working with us on that because as you can see, we're just passionate, especially about Batman. And so these, these 10 episodes here are just going to be a lot of, we're going to talk a lot of Batman. And it's, it's not always going to be specific to the movie that we're reviewing. So we appreciate that you are, are being kind enough to, to, to uh, sit through that and enjoy it with us. Um, if you would like to reach out to us, tell us anything about uh, how you feel about any particular character, pose your own question that you would like us to answer, please reach out to us on our social media. Uh, we've got facebook.com slash KYC podcast on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at KYC podcast. So just, just get a hold of us. Um, we love hearing from anybody that listens to the show. It really gives us a, a sense of purpose, lets us know that that uh, this is worth something, that this is not just, um, you know, three friends having a conversation about Batman, but it's actually something that's bringing some sort of benefit to other people, um, even if it's just entertainment or, or uh, 
or whatever. But uh, we do appreciate it. Um, so the way we like to show our appreciation here on our podcast, we do we say this with the most love that we could ever possibly muster. Um, and what we are going to say to you from all of us here at Familiar Cinema is go fuck yourself. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. Go what? fuck yourself. <laughs> this is that news is to you, Viv. PG. <laughs> yes, yes, this is news. Well, no, Viv's like, like whoa, McDonald's. and I'm like, I got to delay for a second. <laughs> Easy there, McDonald's. Uh, <laughs> there goes our McDonald's advertisement. Yeah, fuck. It's right out the door. They'll be okay. I think. I think. I think they'll be okay. They'll be okay. They'll do we're not, getting, we're not getting the fucking Happy Meal toys now. Oh, you're not the Joe Rogan of podcasting. Okay, <laughs> we're close. Close. <laughs> just, just a few of it. Just a few members of it. He closed a hundred million dollar deal. We've closed a no million dollar deal. So we closed. That's, okay. yeah. That's very true. Well, on that note, I'll see you guys next week. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye.